Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Jake McGregor. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to the Kingdom Community Podcast. My name is Jake. Um, As usual, I am sitting here with a lovely cup of black steaming coffee uh, straight from Inspire, freshly roasted, I believe. Um, Just an absolutely intoxicating smell. Made it in an espresso machine this morning. which is probably my favorite brewing method. If I can find like a good espresso machine, to me, that is the best way to extract good coffee. And I've done it all, right? I've done, I've got an Aero press, that's a good way. French press, a little too gritty for my taste. Um, Keurig, like if it's Armageddon and I don't have any other way of getting coffee, um, I might go Keurig. <laughs> but this morning, luckily I'm at the 180 um, and we've got an espresso set up, so. That is what I'm doing this morning. Um, But more than that, we're going to do a little teaching. Uh, It's going to be out of the book of Luke in chapter 12, so you can turn there. Um, A couple things by way of announcement. So we, this week, are beginning the season of Lent. um, And Liz has put together a really cool uh, reading for us. It's going to take us all the way through the book of Luke and the book of Acts. um, And then it's going to incorporate some Psalms and just some different... um, readings to get us thinking and to head us in the right direction as we head toward Easter. Um, And so actually this set of teachings for the next few weeks in Praxis is really geared to get us prepared uh, to celebrate together this season of Easter, uh, season of Lent, and then leading into Easter. Because there's no more important um, season of celebration for our faith, right? This is is the big one. Christmas is great and we all love it. Um, But when it comes to the reality uh, that we believe, right? When it comes to the truth of our faith, that God is alive, that Jesus is alive, that he's on the throne, right? That God is on the move, that the Holy Spirit is available to us. That all traces its lineage, its genesis, if you will, to Easter. And so it's profoundly important to us um, to understand it, to dive into it, and to live as if that beautiful story were true. And so that reading is gonna help you. We're hoping to get as close to 100% participation. We're a small community, so, um, and if you're not a part of our normal normal Sunday night Praxis gatherings, welcome to the club. There are a lot of folks that um, are a part of this kingdom community movement, but aren't necessarily a part of our Sunday night uh, gathering, that's totally fine. Do the reading with us, feedback with us. Make sure you check the emails uh, because there's going to be some uh, opportunities just to read some reflections from some of our core team, some of the members of our community um, that are wrestling through this stuff and processing what it means uh, to live life as if Jesus were on the throne, right? As if the Holy Spirit were actually alive and on the move today, just as it was uh, in the days leading out of Easter. And so, Uh, It's going to be an awesome time, awesome season of celebration. Um, Let's dive into the teaching this morning. Um, Again, we're in the book of Luke, and we again, we've been very intentional to organize this series of teachings um, in a certain way. So there's this moment in Luke 9, uh, in verse 51, where it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There's another translation that says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And from that point in Luke 9 through the end of the story, Jesus is traveling. Um, He's on his way to Jerusalem. And the author, this man, Luke, is super intentional about this. It's it's called 
Luke is big on travel narratives. All the way through the book of Acts, you see Paul traveling from place to place. This is Jesus' travel travel narrative in the book of Luke. Um, so he mentions it several times, right? Luke 9, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Luke 13, Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. That's Luke 13, 22. Luke 17, 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Luke 18, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. Luke 19, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So it's almost like the story wants you to have this in the front of your mind, right? It's almost like the author intends this, right? And as you read the various teachings and the stories and the parables, in some ways, everything that happens from Luke 9.51 needs to be read in that light, right? Of what's going to happen in Jerusalem, which is Easter. Um, you can think of it as uh, all of us have these, this mix of emotions, right? This rush of feelings as we're getting ready to go on a journey. If it's a vacation, we're going somewhere exciting, we're feeling something. And think about what it's like to get on the road early in the morning, right? The sun is just coming up and you're on your way with your family, the people you love to spend time with them, right? To the coast, uh, to the mountains, on a road trip. You're getting ready to go on an airplane, right? Think of the thrill of that moment. Or think of um, the reality when you're setting out to go to maybe more of a tragic event, a funeral. Um, you're going to go sit with someone um, who has gone through just a brutal hard time in their lives. And, and as you're journeying toward that moment, what do you feel? Um, Jesus knows where he's headed, right? And he lets his followers, his disciples in on this over the course of time. But you can tell like in the emotions in the heart of this son of man, right? Fully God, but also fully human. He is experiencing and feeling something as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so as he teaches, as he interacts, um, as he processes uh, what God is doing in this world, right? As he heals, um, this is in his mind. This is what's coming. And so we've chosen to follow Jesus along this path over the next several weeks. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to sort of set that framework or set that lens. Um, we're going to read an interesting parable, right? Not, not a parable that you hear about a lot, one that doesn't usually get preached on. Um, but I think it sort of helps us demonstrate what it means to read with this lens, to read as if we're following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, right? So we call this reading with Jerusalem eyes, knowing that the cross is coming, knowing that the restoration of all things is coming. Um, and so we wanna follow Jesus along and, and hear his teachings as if we're hearing from someone who knows where he's headed, okay? So let's read. Uh, this is gonna be out of the book of Luke in chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance and abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus told his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) All right. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's like a classical scripture memory verse. We've heard that one before, right? But that parable is not one we necessarily hear a lot. So what's happening here, okay? First, the first thing we need to do in order to sort of understand what's happening, again, we're on our way to Jerusalem, okay? And I wanna hone in on what it says at the end here. It says, seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. And then do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, So he's talking about the kingdom of God here, right? What is it like? How does it work? Um, That is our namesake, right? We are a kingdom community. And sometimes I think it's just helpful for us to stop and think about what that means, right? Because we're a community who believes that there is another kingdom breaking into this world all around us. And we live as if that is true, right? There's another story, a better story being told. And we're invited to live that story, to live that kingdom. We're a kingdom community, right? So to understand this, we need to ask that question of Jesus. What do you mean when you talk about the kingdom? And at one point, Jesus is talking about the kingdom and he says this, right? This is to me the the shortest, most clear, concise description from Jesus of what he means when he talks about the kingdom. This is Matthew 19, 28. He says, at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, right? King sits on the throne. Those who have lost, and then lists off a bunch of stuff, those who've lost these things will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. So when he says that the renewal of all things, when he says that he is doing something extraordinary, okay? The word for renewal is the Greek word palingensia. Uh, It's a compound word and it's kind of a technical term out of Greek philosophy. It comes from root words meaning literally regenesis or rebeginning. So he says the regenesis of the world, the regenesis of all things. So the Greeks believed that the world was constantly cycling, okay? Things get worse and worse and worse. It degrades and spirals down. And then every so often the world is reborn, right? Palingensia was the Greek belief that every so often the universe would be cleansed and specifically cleansed in fire, right? There would be a conflagration of some sort, a purifying and purging. And when the fire was done, everything could start again. And they believe that this had happened maybe over eons, who knows how many times, okay? And their belief was that it was cyclical, right? 
the world is cleansed in fire. So when you see things like spiraling out of control, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? We say the Greeks understood that they saw it happening in their time too, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, and they believed that at some point it's just going to get so bad that there will be a conflagration. It will burn and then it will start over again. Okay. Um, they pulled that out of what they observed in nature. Um, when Jesus says it, he turns the whole thing on his head. First of all, when he says palingensia, he says the palingensia. Okay, so singular. Jesus is saying that all of history is sweeping toward one climactic event where everything will be changed, where everything will be healed. Everything will be cleansed and fresh and new, right? And he's saying this will happen once and for all, right? Not over and over and over again, but one time singular. Um, and for Jesus, the fire right? is not necessarily, it's in this text, right? When that, that's not going to happen by fire. It's going to happen when the son of man sits on his throne, right? When the son of man takes the throne, when that happens, everything will change, right? When the king ascends, everything will be restored. Everything will be healed. The potential for true abundant life becomes not just potential, but reality. Um, kind of a beautiful philosophical thought process going on there, right? Uh, so <laughs> right behind me here, I have, I'm a nerd. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. I apologize. Actually, I don't. I, I apologize for nothing. Um, I have a Gandalf figurine right behind me, like a, uh, I don't know, 10 inch Gandalf figurine. It's a toy. Um, it's actually given to me by John Shin. Um, good, solid kingdom community guy out there. Uh, and I love the Lord of the Rings, right? If you know me, you know this is true. I could watch those movies again and again and again, but better than the movies are the books, okay? If you haven't had a chance, you need to read them because they are so much more full uh, even than those great movies. Uh, so there's a quote at the end of The Return of the King, right, the book, um, that the author, right, Tolkien, I think he knew what he was doing when he wrote it. So the story is that Samwise is recovering from the wounds, right? He's recovering from the journey, um, his adventure. And he's waking up at the end of the story and he's kind of like getting his bearings and he sees Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? So it's this beautiful moment when he realizes the darkness has been lifted. And that's Gandalf's response, right? Is that the darkness, a shadow has been lifted, he says. Um, I think Tolkien is, is leaning on the biblical story here, right? And you guys realize that Jesus' answer to that question, if we were to be asking Jesus that question, right? Is everything sad going to come untrue? His answer would be yes, Right? The palingensia is that. It is everything sad coming untrue. It's every suffering we've ever experienced, not wiped away, but renewed, regenesis, given new meaning and new beauty like you never thought possible, right? Every broken relationship rebegan, right? Every pain, every evil, every brutal heartbreak undone, right? Not just covered over, but made untrue. Our struggle through this world will be redeemed, right? when the son takes his throne. That is the kingdom. That is what is promised. That's the soul of the story in the Bible, right? As the king ascending to the throne, palingensia, the renewal of all things. Now, typically we as Christians have thought of that hope, right? 
that renewal of all things is something we're waiting for, something that will happen in the future, okay? Um, we read Revelation, for instance, through that lens. But I want you to notice what Jesus says here in our passage for today. This is Luke 12, 32, right? He says, the kingdom is something that your loving father has been pleased to give you, right? He has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Uh, do not fear, right? That is a past tense thing. If you were to look up Titus 5.3, uh, it says he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, past tense, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The word renewal there is the same word, right? Palingensia. It's the only other time in the New Testament it's used, actually. Uh, but you realize what this means, right? The power of the kingdom of God, the power of the palingensia, right? The renewal of all things. That is something that will happen in the future, but it is something that has also been made true in you and I through Jesus Christ, right? Which means we can begin to live that story right now. The future has come back to meet us in a mysterious way. Um, we can be renewed. We are renewed, by the work of Easter. And again, I don't want you to mishear me here. There, the paradox of the whole New Testament is that it all exists in tension, right? The world is still profoundly broken. We know this. And yet through the work of the cross, through the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, you and I can begin to live out and bear witness to the world as to what is coming, right? As to what has already mysteriously been made true. We talk about the kingdom of God as being a now and not yet reality. Now God has re renewed us, right? This is something that was work that was done. He said it is finished, right? And yet we're waiting for the ultimate renewal, that ultimate moment uh, when the king on his glorious throne renews all things, okay? So it's a now and not yet reality. Um, but understand, this is what Jesus is walking toward in the book of Luke. Let's go back to thinking about that travel narrative for a minute. Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem. He is on his way toward Jerusalem. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows the beauty and the hope that will become ours once his work is done in Jerusalem. He knows the bleak and bloody horror that awaits him. And he also knows that once it's finished, right, everything sad can come untrue. And that you and I, his people, will be able to have access to that reality right now. You guys, can you imagine? Can you imagine having, knowing that kind of good news, knowing what was coming, right? And trying to help them understand it, knowing that your father, the God of the universe, your loving father was about to blow the doors of his kingdom open and invite everyone in. Right? You know what's coming in Jerusalem. So if you back up just a little, right? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> Can you imagine what's going through Jesus' head here, right? Like what silly, what, what scraps are you fighting over, right? Even if this inheritance is $10 million, that pales in comparison to what I know is coming, right? To everything sad coming untrue. And so he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, right? Life is more than food, right? You can't, you can't add a single hour to your life by, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, right? It's almost as if Jesus is like, do you people not understand? Do you not know 
what is what will become available to you, right? He says, and he says things all through his story. I have food that you know not of. I have water that will truly satisfy. I have a story that is being told that is unlike anything you've ever heard, right? <laughs> it's like a train roaring in on the edge of the town. Ah, it's just a part of the podcasting environment here. You guys get this though, right? Your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. What are you doing fighting over the scraps of this world? Um, now, this is where some of the harder teachings of Jesus start to make a lot more sense. I want you to look back at verses 33 and 34 here for a minute. Hopefully you have a Bible and you're working with it as you're listening. Uh, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? <laughs> you have a kingdom heart, okay? But immediately after he says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, he says, sell your possessions, right? <laughs> so the kingdom of God is yours. Now it's time. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. So apparently people who seek first his kingdom, right? People whose lives have been shaped by that kingdom, who are aware that Jesus is on his throne, there are some unique ways that they will live, right? Unique characteristics that they will display. And one of those things is that they will be radically generous. And you have to realize what Jesus is doing here, okay? In the Jewish religion, there's this thing called a tithe. Uh, you are probably familiar with this. If you've spent any time around a church, you have heard somebody tell you about tithing, okay? This is the Old Testament standard for charity. 10% of your income goes to the poor, right? 10% of your income goes to the church, whatever it is. And you, they've, once you've done that, you've done your duty. Jesus is saying here that the kingdom of God blows the doors off that because the old standard was, let's say you're a farmer and you're raising a crop and you bring in your crop and at harvest, right, your tractors pull in to the scale 10, 10 buckets full of grapes, okay? Um, one of every 10, right, one of every 10 of what you've earned, what you've brought in goes back out to the poor, okay? You tithe on your income, 10% of what you make you give. For Jesus, right, this is the thing that changes everything. He's not talking about your income. He says, I don't want you to give your income. I want you to give your assets. I want you to liquidate, okay? Give the land that produces the grapes. Give the tractor that pulls the buckets, okay? Uh, I have, you have to understand that that is, that's the type of, he literally is saying that, right? If you have a kingdom heart, the things that you own start to matter less and less. Um, so I've heard, people argue convincingly that because tithing was a part of the old covenant, it no longer applies to us. Okay. Tithing is old Testament, right? That's old stuff. Jesus work on the cross did away with the law. Tithing is old Testament law. So that means we are no longer compelled to live by the law only by grace. So therefore I do not need to, we don't need to worry about the percentages here. Okay. So I fully agree with that, but sometimes I think people don't really know what they're asking for <laughs> when they say that. Um, if God has been pleased to give us his kingdom, right? His whole kingdom, a kingdom that consists in a fully abundant life that has literally nothing to do with what we own, what we eat, what we drive, what we wear. If this story is true, then we need to be asking different questions about our finances, right? About what we have, about what gets given. Um, see, this is the thing. <laughs> is that Jesus is walking around fully aware of the abundance and the blessing and the riches of the kingdom of God. And he's on his way up to Jerusalem, right? That's, that means he's on his way to go secure those riches. He's on his way to open the door to that kingdom by his blood. 
Can you imagine knowing that? What it would be like for Jesus when he has people asking him how little, right? Or how, 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 how to ask him how to mediate disputes, right? About how many of their dad's pennies one person ought to have over the other, right? Or when a mother asks if her sons can have places of honor next to Jesus in the kingdom. Or when crowds of people start following him around to get their hands on some free loaves and fishes, right? It's like your vision of what's important can be so very small, people, right? I have... I have something that will satisfy your thirst, right? I have, I know a story, <laughs> the true story, right? I know what's coming. Notice with his next parable, again, within the framework of his journey toward Jerusalem, what Jesus knows. It says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, okay? I love the ESV. It says, be ready for action. Be dressed and ready for action and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants who, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Okay, so that's a parable that comes right on the tail end of our passage. Um, he says the master will dress himself to serve. Now, that would make absolutely no sense to the original readers of this text, okay? The actual word there is gird. So the master will gird himself for service. Everyone back then wore long flowing garments, okay? It's the robes that you've seen in reenactments of, you know, of, of biblical stories. They wore those things. If you had to work, right? If you have to had to lift something heavy or dig a trench or make food or or clean your house, whatever, you would have to sweep up your robes and tuck them in, and that would be called girding yourself. So a master or lord would somebody who would very rarely or or never gird themselves. Why? Because lifting and cooking and cleaning and the like is work for servants, right? That's work for slaves. A master never girded himself for service. So when Jesus says the master will gird himself for service, right, and you will recline at the table, there's a couple things going on here. He's fairly obviously talking about what will happen when the king takes the throne, when the kingdom comes, right? The king is going to take the servants and he's going to have them recline at the table and he's going to wait on them. Um, but there's something else happening here. So uh, Joel B. Green was one of my New Testament profs in seminary. Really brilliant guy, written several books was really lucky to be able to study under him. I remember him talking about justice in the New Testament and how radical the teachings of Jesus actually were when it comes to justice, right? He was so far ahead of his time, in some ways still way ahead of us on justice, okay, Jesus is. I shouldn't say in some ways, he's God. He's obviously way ahead of us. Um, but even the sayings that we read in the Bible that are, that are contextualized in an ancient patriarchal society, they were radical then, they're still radical now, okay? Um, Jesus is constantly messing with people's heads when it comes to the way the world is supposed to work. Um, so Green, in his commentary on Luke, says uh, this. He says, Jesus' metaphor subverts the whole slave system. When the master arrives, he undergoes a status reversal, showing that in the household of God, in the kingdom of God, all will be blind with regard to status or pedigree. In the kingdom of God, mutuality reigns and hierarchies are nullified. So Jesus is saying that when the power of the kingdom comes into your life, right, when you begin to get it, the things that used to matter will not, okay? Our wealth, we've already talked about that, but the divide between wealthy and poor will not matter anymore, right? The top of society and the bottom of society will be evened out, okay? None of that will matter anymore. 
There will be no more slave nor free, no more Greek nor Jew, no more male nor female, right? Like none of that will matter at all. In this kingdom, the king himself serves, okay? And therefore we serve. It doesn't matter who it is, right? Whoever it is, the king serves, we serve. So we find out the needs that people have and we meet them. Looking for no recognition in return, not looking for a leg up on the competition, right? We serve across barriers, across cultural lines. We gird ourselves up for service. Why? Because our father has been pleased to give us the kingdom, right? The kingdom is ours. All things are ours already. We need nothing else. And so it is our joy to bear witness to that kingdom here and now. We serve, right? We reach out. Uh, we cross the railroad tracks. We live among the poor. We, right, we work on behalf of anyone and everyone. Um, that's the type of thing that's being said here. And of course, if you're paying attention, you see what's being foreshadowed, right? Jesus would live this out. He would enact this whole paradigm when he himself, the night before he went to Calvary, girded himself for service and washed the feet of his disciples, right? And the next day, the renewal of all things. Um, <laughs> this is what he's, you see how what's happening in the New Testament is mind-blowing, right? So one of the things that starts to happen to you and I when we get, begin to journey with Jerusalem eyes, right? When we know what happens in Jerusalem, when we know what happened, right? is that we begin to start hearing what Jesus was actually saying, right? Knowing what he knew, we start to change. And this isn't like New Year's resolution kind of change, right? This isn't the kind of change that comes by my effort, like some sort of personal reformation. Uh, there's an old illustration that talks about what happens when we invite Jesus into our home, right? So we have this idea that we invite Jesus into our lives, right? We invite him into our heart as if our heart is a house. And when we invite Jesus into our house, it's like inviting a, a renovation specialist in. We invite him in and he's going to touch up the areas that need to be touched up, tear up some floors over here and take out some carpet over there, maybe even move a wall here and there. But ultimately, right, we have this vision for our house and the renovator's job is to get us to that vision. So I want to be a better person. I want to be less fearful. I want to experience less anxiety. I want a better marriage, right? We invite Jesus into our lives so he can help us achieve that vision of our reality. My best life, right? He helps us live our best life. Where have you heard that before, right? But it's not just the wackos. Countless sermons have been preached and books written along these lines, have they not? where Jesus is asked into our lives and it's almost as if he's going to help us sort out what we need to be sorted, right? So that we can, so I can be a better person and achieve wholeness or centeredness or whatever the case may be. Jesus is going to come in and rearrange. The problem is with that whole line of thought is that Jesus doesn't come in to rearrange. He is not a renovation specialist. He is the king of kings. His vision is nothing short of the coming untrue of darkness and despair and death in this world, right? His is the renewal of all things in the only fire that cannot be quenched, the fire of God's unending love. To invite that fire into your life. Think about that for a minute. Do you really want that? Do you really want to invite the fire at the center of all that is into your life. Because to invite that is to submit everything, all of it, to the rule and reign of Christ in your world. It is not inviting renovation, it is inviting fire. And he may want to get rid of all of it, right? It is not your vision of reality 
It is God's vision of reality that he will give birth to. And so everything may change. Do you want that, right? People who have invited that fire into their lives do not go into this world as nicer people who have achieved better wellness, right? They are the people who are with Jesus on the road toward Jerusalem. They know what the cross actually paid for, what the resurrection actually achieved, what the ascension of the king actually means, right? The king is on the throne. And so they have a vision of reality and beauty and wonder so overwhelming and intoxicating that it turns everything upside down and inside out. They no longer see money the same. They no longer see social categories the same or relationships the same or justice the same or politics the same. These are crazy people, right? They are people who change the world. And all you need to do is look at a history book and see what happened in the first century, right? These people, these wild-eyed people, went out into the world and they transformed it. They changed it, right? Not repaying violence for violence, right? Going into uh, cities that had been ravaged by plague and dying there among those people, right? Serving those who were their oppressors, loving those who were undeserving of it. They went out and they absolutely transformed everything in this upside down, inside out kingdom. Right? Their lives had been completely changed. They were no longer after the same thing. Brennan Manning, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, he lovingly calls these types of people ragamuffins. Okay? They're ragamuffins. They do not look like they belong. In one of his famous sermons, Brennan Manning calls them brand new creations a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who'd surrendered to the mystery of the fire of this love that burns within, who live in ever greater proximity to their father, their daddy in heaven, who enter into the center of all that is, into the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of that flame, which sets everything aglow with peace, joy, and extravagant love, (laughs) right? The way Jesus says it, these are people with their lamps burning, These are servants waiting for their master's return. These are people dressed and ready for action, right? They know what's coming. As we journey together toward Jerusalem, right, in a figurative sense, as we read the rest of the story of the book of Luke and as we think uh, and, and sort of meditate on what Easter actually means as we draw toward that holiday, I want us to get that vision for reality, right? What does it mean to have a truly kingdom heart? What does it mean to live as if we know what's coming, right? As if we know the true story that's being told behind the curtains of this world, right? What does it look like for our relationships? What does it look like for our families, right? What does it look like for how we spend our money, how we spend our time, um, how much we give, how much we keep? Um, Yeah, if we're truly a kingdom community, I wonder what it would look like to to, to truly live into that as a community of prophets and professional lovers. We've already seen in in really beautiful ways what even a small community can uh, be witness to um, accomplish with this kind of vision of reality. Um, (laughs) It's been beautiful. But think about that. I just want you to meditate on that, dwell on that. What does it look like to live with Jerusalem eyes, to see the world as Jesus saw it? I want us to read uh, with these eyes as we read, and hopefully you take the time to to do the reading plan with us. Um, It's a chapter or two, sometimes three um, a day. Really, I think the max it's going to take you is about 15 or 20 minutes, okay, if you read slow. Um, So you should be able to do it. 
read these stories, hear Jesus speaking, right? And understand that he is on his way to secure for us a kingdom of untold riches, right? untold joy. Um, and we can begin to live that way right now. I realize that's kind of ethereal. Um, it doesn't leave you with like, oh, this is what I need to do right now. Um, there's not a specific practice. It's just a vision of reality, right? It's the vision of reality that Jesus himself had. I hope that it's encouraging to you. I hope uh, that your week this week is um, lived with a little bit of that extra spring in your step. Um, again, understanding uh, that the kingdom of God, your father has been pleased to give it to you. Okay, we do not need to live uh, in scarcity. We need to live in abundance. So what does that look like? All right, we're gonna let the train horn be the end for us. Um, I'm gonna finish my coffee um, and I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys later. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media as KC Praxis or email us at caseypraxis at 180lodi.org.